Welcome to Ormwood Church in Atlanta, Georgia, and to our podcast where we share our Sunday sermons for those in Ormwood Park, Atlanta, and beyond. Our mission is to welcome everyone to explore the living God in all of our neighborhoods, and we value welcoming others, opening our minds, being of service, and participating in whatever ways God calls us. We hope you learn, grow, and find a place to belong with us. We have two scripture passages for today. Um, The first we actually read for the call to worship early in the the worship service, but I'm going to read it now. It's Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. So listen now for a word from God. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, And no vegetation of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. And there was no one to till the ground, but a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So the next passage I'm going to read for you is Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Listen now for a word from God. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke Jesus up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And waking up, Jesus rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Be silent, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? So there are some things um, that are a bit taboo now that the pandemic has come through our lives. I, for one, will no longer be participating in any birthday rituals that involve myself or anyone else blowing their breath all over the food we're about to eat. There'd be no candles. Um, It's now, although I would argue should have always been, officially awkward when people stand too close to you in line at the grocery store. I'm a big fan of that change. And handshakes. What do we do with handshakes? The funny thing about handshakes is that they haven't always been, and across the world, they certainly aren't the way people have greeted each other. It's a very Western thing, in fact. And do you know why we shake hands? I heard this last week, and it kind of hit me hard. Um, We shake hands to show someone else that we're not holding a gun. We started shaking hands with each other to reveal that we were unarmed and then to also check to see if the other person was dangerous. We shake hands because we assume we need to be in a fearful, defensive stance. 
Now, compare that with the greeting you might receive in, say, India or Nepal. And I'm thinking of a particular verbal greeting that many will recognize if you've done any amount of yoga, and that is namaste. And what this short, concise word means is, the divine within me bows to the same divine that lives within you. So the greeting starts not with a defensive posture, but with an acknowledgement of dignity and affection and really seeing the best of the other person. The greeting starts seeing God. It's an approach, it's approaching a relationship or a person with an openness and a trust in the goodness of God in each other. Now, why all this talk about handshakes? Last week, I opened the sermon series, Steady the Boat, with a word about what can make the waters really get whipped up for us, spiritually speaking. And that word was destruction or (laughs) deconstruction, um, a crisis of faith, a dark night of the soul. And I talked about how instead of deconstruction being a roadblock to our journey of faith, um, it's actually very similar to John the Baptist's call to repent, to turn around completely, to head in a new direction. It's a way to prepare yourself for, in fact, a more intimate and probably authentic encounter with God. But that doesn't always make the seasons of deconstruction or intense change, internal change, easy. When life gets difficult, when our spiritual life gets chaotic, we often fall into a defensive stance, sometimes against ourselves, sometimes against others, and oftentimes against God or in fear of God's rejection of us. Humans can turn to fear so quickly when our equilibrium is shaken. We then end up approaching everything, even our faith and our creator, with a handshake, wondering if we're safe, if we're loved, if we're accepted, if we can trust. Maybe this defensive stance we have is against God for not living up to who we thought God was supposed to be or for sleeping during our big internal storm. Or perhaps we're arming ourselves up against ourselves for no longer following religious norms embedded in us since childhood or for not believing what we were told we were supposed to believe. Fear will make you contract, make you go into a shame spiral, make you push away those you love, make you wonder if everyone is going to draw out a gun, even God. Perhaps especially God. It's hard to remember the divine in you and the divine in me and the divine in and of itself. Our biological proclivity to fear takes over and can make us shut down, make us lose any trust we had in love or in God. Our scripture for today is from the Gospel of Mark. It's a very popular story and is in multiple Gospels, all with their own storytelling flair. Jesus and the disciples need to get away from the crowds, and so they get in a set of boats that push off from shore. As they're crossing the lake, and really here you should think sea, it's much bigger than our notions of lake. So a storm hits them in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the night. It's terrifying, chaotic, disorienting, and they go straight into fear mode, panicking, growing angry, turning on each other, turning on Jesus. They go to the lower part of the boat and rouse Jesus, who's sleeping, and complain to him about his complacency. They wake Jesus, and they don't actually simply just say, help us, help us. Oh, no. (laughs) They are reading all sorts of intentions into his behavior, like we do when we're scared. They say instead, 
Don't you even care that we're perishing? Jesus does care and gets up and tells the sea to be silent and still. Miraculously, the winds cease. There's a dead calm and the boat steadies. Then Jesus turns to his disciples and asks them why they just broke the most frequent command in the Bible. Do not be afraid. Why are you full of fear? Where is your faith? Things had gotten rocky and the disciples had all whipped out their handshakes, metaphorically speaking. When fear overwhelms us, these behaviors of accusations and shame and defensiveness are evolutionary go-tos. Our brain says, oh, this will keep me safe. Try armoring up. When for most circumstances, those proclivities hinder getting what we really need. What was there all along? Help, care, community, love. But what does this have to do with emerging from a season of deconstruction, of cleaning house of our beliefs, a season of doubt and deep questioning? From what I have noticed in these many conversations I've had with folks who are deeply troubled in their faith lives, just like the disciples in the stormy sea, the posture of fear is the go-to. And I'm not shaming anyone for that. It's exactly what our brain tells us to do when things get shaky and confusing and vulnerable and scary. I've been there many times myself. The fears are manifold. A season of deep upheaval in our faith can make us fearful of believing the wrong things. We've been told even perhaps our salvation rests on getting that one part right. Or perhaps we're ashamed when we see a belief we had in a new light and we realize it was not the helpful belief we thought it was. For example, when I think of American Christians going through deconstruction, I think of laying aside the beliefs that are aligned deeply with capitalism. More capitalism than the Bible. Beliefs that we've made bedfellows with the Bible. Perhaps it's the belief that you've got to constantly justify how you spend your time to God and to each other. You've got to be productive all the time. Whew, it's a tough one. Or perhaps your fear manifests in a fear of yourself. You fear the thoughts you have, the doubts that creep in. You've been taught to second guess yourself so much that you can't even have an honest discussion about the state of your faith without crippling anxiety that you'll get it wrong. Or perhaps, and this is the one that makes me most sad, but is also that deepest fear, perhaps you fear God. You fear the most essential form of rejection, rejection from your creator, from the one who made you. So to stave off that rejection, you armor up either to keep your own thoughts at bay, dare you displease God, or you head God off by rejecting God and your faith at the get-go. The posture of fear is powerful. It's a driver of disconnection. There is a reason do not fear is all over the Bible and perhaps needs to be tattooed on our hands. It's so pervasive that in our story for today, Jesus is actually caught in a sandwich of fear, right? First, the disciples are afraid of the storm and dying, and then they're afraid of Jesus and his power to calm the storm. It's, it's hard to fight fear. <laughs> but how do we switch ourselves from offering, or how do we switch from offering ourselves and God a handshake laced with fear to instead approaching deconstruction or even rebuilding your faith with a namaste. This is one of those most important moves, turns in moving from deconstruction to rebuilding a more authentic, open, and liberating faith on the other side of fear. 
If we attend to our story in Mark from a 30,000 foot level and look down at the scene, I think one of the things we can see and remember is that Jesus is in the boat with us. There is no duality of us versus God. There is no path on which we walk alone. Even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we need fear no evil. God's rod and staff guide us even there. Ten years ago, when my health was not in great shape, I said to my mother, I think even my belief in God is slipping away. And her response was, oh, don't worry about God. God is worried about you. God is simply the stuff of existence and there's nowhere we go where God cannot find us or does not sit with us in solidarity right alongside. And to quote a second psalm in this part of my sermon, even if you or I settle on the far side of the sea, even there God's hand will guide us. God's hand will hold us fast. On the far side of the sea, in the midst of the storm in the middle of the sea, the love of God for you can be trusted. Do not be afraid. Get that tattooed on you. (laughs) But you know, there is a second thing that can help with the fear storm, um, to emerge from the fear storm and start rebuilding our faith. And that is not from our story today necessarily, um, but it's from what came to us in the very beginning and what what we read for the call to worship earlier in that Genesis passage. There is the breath. Fear can make you believe thoughts that aren't true, like that you're alone or you're unloved or you're unlovable. Fear is a doozy. But to steady the boat, God gave us a great, great gift that can calm those thoughts and our heart rates. (laughs) Just like in Genesis, we become a living being again when we take a deep breath. There's a group of folks at church who practice meditation in silence for 30 minutes every week. And we've been meeting for a couple years now, and I stay awake 90% of the time. I will say I'm pretty proud of myself. Um, But I also practice meditation on my own. If you've dabbled in the practice at all, you know that the majority of it, especially at the beginning, is simply paying attention to your breathing, the in-breath and the out-breath. It's making space for your brain to set aside discursive thinking. So thinking, worries, stories you're making up about a situation or person, plans, or fears for the future. And in meditation, you return over and over and over, and over, and over to the in-breath and the out-breath. And when you catch yourself thinking, you kindly say something like, thinking, 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 and you attend again to that first gift that God gave you, the in-breath and the out-breath. The rise of the stomach and chest and the fall of the weight of you. Our breath is the gift of life. It was the first gift from God, and it is also a way to come back home to God. God commanded us that fear is not a place we should call our home. A handshake is not an appropriate greeting to each other, to God, to life. 
but it is a hard pivot to emerge from fear. It's another act of repentance, of making a 180 degree turn in our lives. Sometimes it's arguing with our very biology, which shouts danger, even to the things that might offer us liberation, like deconstruction, like deconstructing the old and rebuilding brick by brick the new. It's bowing to the God in you and to the God in me and letting that divine presence, that loving, steady, divine presence be the defining baseline of our newfound faith. Amen. So if you've stuck around after the sermon, um, I'm just going to give you a little bonus material. Um, mostly I, I have found that, and I think neurology has found that breathing really is one of the best gifts God has ever given us. Um, it's one of the first ones as we read in Genesis, but it's one of the best ones. Um, it can really settle your mind down. Um, it can help you if you practice at it. Um, it can help you catch yourself when you get in a cloud of thinking to kind of pull back and stand before God, stand in the now. Um, so I'm going to just give you a short five minute meditation um, that's guided. And if you've never done this before, it's super easy. You don't need to do anything right now, um, except perhaps get to a place where um, maybe it's a little private or you've got some, um, you know, it's not as many distractions present. And sit in a comfortable position. It's helpful if your back can be straight. It's helpful for you to stay awake. <laughs> um, it's helpful for many reasons. And then if your feet can be on the ground or just grounded, um, that's also helpful. Not necessarily but helpful. Some people actually like to lay down while they meditate. So if that's you, go for it. But I'm going to start us now with just a deep in-breath. And then hold it for a second. And then exhale. Then even hold the exhale. And then inhale. This is sometimes called box breathing, where you inhale for a count of four and hold it for a second and then exhale a count of four and feel that emptiness for a second. So let's do that for a minute. The breath is really the baseline. So if you find your mind thinking, getting caught up in thoughts, be kind to yourself. It's the brain's job, but you can bring it back. Just say, oh, thinking, I was thinking, and come back to the breath, the in-breath. 
the out-breath. Sometimes it helps while you're focusing on the sensation of breathing to offer yourself a smile. You can shape your your mouth into a smile, make the space kind for yourself today. You want to take a moment to really feel where the breath is rising in your body and falling. Maybe it's your chest. Maybe you feel it in your stomach. Maybe you feel the weight of your body shift as you breathe. Where is the breath in your body? You can take a minute to scan through your body, starting at the top of your head. You feel your hair pulling down, or perhaps you feel your ears, or there's pressure on your forehead. If you can see if you can relax it a little. See if you can relax your jaw or maybe even your tongue in your mouth. Just follow the breath down the body. Maybe the shoulders need to come down a little or you can feel the movement in your midsection, in your stomach, or your pelvic region. How do your legs feel? Or the weight of your feet on the ground? And if you find yourself getting distracted, it's normal. You're thinking. Just come back to that in-breath and out-breath and relax your thoughts. They can come. They can also go.
you might have sounds around you. You might be able to hear the rain where I'm recording this. Perhaps you have birds or children or the sound of a car. The goal really isn't to ignore the world, but to be present in the world. Be present to the sounds. They come, they go, and you sit with the in-breath and the out-breath. And as you finish this time, if you closed your eyes during it, I invite you to gently open them. Remember your smile. Still taking those breaths, if you can find a way to relax your body one last time. And taking a final deep in-breath. Hold it for a second and then exhale. I hope you take the kindness of this time along with you today and that the breath of God brings you home. <laughs>